Hello and welcome to the Chronic Living Podcast, your need-to-know source for living with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and I'll be sharing my experiences living with a chronic illness, as well as inviting others on to share their stories. So join me in shining a light on the world that is chronic living. All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode. Today, I am joined by Dawn. She's going to share some of her experiences being part of the chronic community. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. That's awesome. So let's go ahead and start with sharing a little bit about yourself and telling us what brings you here. Right. Well, my name is Dawn, Dawn Morgan. I am 46 years old. I am uh, an MS patient. I have multiple sclerosis. I was diagnosed in 2000. I am also a mother, a mother of one. My son is 10, soon to be 11. I was a former teacher until MS kind of took over my, my life and caused my doctor to say, you know, you need to reevaluate your life and reevaluate, reevaluate, excuse me, your career path. And I said, okay. And even having that conversation with her, I, I kind of like instinctively knew I'm not going to be able to do this for much longer. So she wrote on a piece of paper, permanently disabled. And that was kind of a, a shock <laughs> to see. Yep. And I, I opted to leave the classroom um, and we could probably get into this later, but I was super happy when the pandemic hit because then I could teach from home. So I was like, yeah. oh, this is really good. But, um, but yeah, so that, that is um, like who I am right now. Like this is where I am in my MS world and MS space. I am very much involved in the multiple sclerosis community. I, I did start a podcast about three years ago with a co-host and she and I ended our collaboration recently this summer. And then I kind of branched off and I'm doing my own podcast, solo podcast. Um, but I'm still like very much active and talking with people and nice. talking with different companies and just being at what they call these days of patient influencer, just kind of bridging the gap between big pharma and finding out what, what big pharma wants from patients and kind of being the liaison and communicating that <laughs> money <laughs> they yes. want money they want money exactly. um but they get a lot of mine and my insurances um yeah. but yeah so go ahead and give us i guess a quick rundown of what multiple sclerosis is and how it specifically affects you okay so multiple sclerosis is a neurological disease hmm. it affects your central nervous system and what there are different types of MS. There's like four different types. There's relapsing remitting, there's progressive, secondary progressive, and there's clinically isolated syndrome. So what I was diagnosed with was relapsing remitting. And so relapsing remitting is where you'll have an attack or a flare or what they call an exacerbation. And mm -hmm. then you'll go into some sort of remission and you may not have an exacerbation for a year, two years, five years, maybe even 10. And then some, something will spark, who knows what it, you can get the flu or a cold or something. And then that'll kind of spark your, your um, nervous system to go crazy and then all kinds of inflammation. And then you, you're into a full-fledged attack or stress. Stress can definitely do it as well. Oh yeah. That's, 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 that affects a lot of conditions. A lot of people don't realize it, but that affects a lot of chronic sure. conditions. Um, colitis being one of them, because I have colitis and 
Yeah, I, I understand that like multiple ways that it can do it. And, and I guess frequencies when it comes to multiple sclerosis, because something like what you have when it comes to colitis is usually considered irritable bowel syndrome because you mm -hmm. have a lot of the same symptoms, but it's yeah. like, it might happen for a month and then it's just gone. And then it comes back. Whereas people with, you know, actually the, the full-fledged diagnosis of Crohn's or colitis, it's a little more permanent. Depending on the severity, if you're mild, then you usually have a lot of remission. If you're severe like myself, remission is sometimes a little harder to find. So I definitely understand that. And yeah, stress is a massive factor in a lot of things. Absolutely. I mean, it affects every part of you. And I think one of the worst exacerbations that I had in my life was due to stress because in 2000, when I was diagnosed, I chose to become a vegan. I was like, okay, I'm putting away everything that's anti, you know, inflammatory. And I want, you know, or put, I'm adding all, I'm sorry, I'm adding everything that's anti-inflammatory into my life. I'm getting rid of junk food and anything, you know, no processed food. So Clean sweep. Uh, yeah, clean, clean sweep. I mean, even toothpaste and deodorant. I was like, I'm changing it all. And um, how'd that go? Little, what's that? How'd that go? It went well, actually. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you're leaning into it. I was like, was that too much of a change all at once? <laughs> a little too drastic. <laughs> it went okay. It went okay. Um, and I had to have a balance over the years, but it, you know, it balanced itself out. But little did I know you can eat right and do all those things. But if you have the stress and if you have depression and anxiety, it will flare. <laughs> Your life will be hell. <laughs> Welcome to a chronic illness. Colli yes. Colitis and Crohn's are the same way. Okay. And in some ways worse because mm -hmm. Crohn's and colitis are digestive based diseases. So yeah. a lot of the times what's considered a healthy diet out of all the diets out there, the healthier ones are generally actually worse for us. Um, raw vegetables, a lot of fibers, a lot of more acidic foods that are generally really healthy for you and, and good for your body are really bad when you have digestive problems and they can actually cause flare-ups. So yeah, no, I understand. It's like, try to get healthy, yes. do the right yes. things. But oh, by the way, for, for, for my group, it's not too healthy, like a little bit of healthy, but not too much. If you go too much, it's, it's, it's like, you got two ends that may, if you go super unhealthy, your colitis or Crohn's can flare up. And if you go way too healthy, depending on what it is, it can cause your Crohn's and colitis to flare up. So it's, it's, it's a fun balance. I can imagine because, you know, a lot of the health articles that you'll read or books and things like that, they'll say, oh, well, you want to have a plant-based diet, lots of cruciferous vegetables and things like that. But you don't recognize that it's really causing a lot of gas in your system. And it's like, uh, you know, tearing you up inside, you know, yep. seeds and nuts and all of that, like that is not good for someone who is suffering from inflammatory issues in their gastrointestinal system. And even like you say, with MS, there are a lot of challenges because you can have lesions in that area of your, your low, your, well, your thoracic spine, which kind of affects the midsection. Mm -hmm. And if you have slow motility, or if you have these lesions that are located there, it's not going, you know, that type of food is really going to upset those nerves and whatever else is happening in that area. So and that's, and that's one of the things like a lot of people don't understand when it comes to anything in the digestive tract, um, 
especially if you have any sort of ulcers, lesions, cuts that are regularly there, because yeah. an ulcer is just an open sore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's an open sore. And everyone knows when you get a cut that's really bad and they pour that uh, isopropyl alcohol on it, it burns a lot. That's a small cut. Now in your digestive tract, you have a large open sore plus stomach acid, which is a lot stronger than isopropyl alcohol. So it burns a lot more and it hurts a lot more. And so it's, that's always fun to try to explain to people because, you know, you could be having a bad day with Crohn's colitis, any sort of other digestive or internal pain and you look fine. Oh. What's going on inside? You're just like, no, it feels like death all the and, time. You know, if I can also add, if you couple that with medication, it's like a recipe for disaster because you've got all of these acids that are almost, first of all, your body is fighting you, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and then you've got the food that wants to fight because it wants to help you, but it really doesn't know what to do. And then you've got the medication fighting. And so it's like this three ring circus, if you will, or some fight between Muhammad Ali and like Mike Tyson and Larry Holmes, you yep. know, if that makes sense. So <clears throat> there's no like even ground there. And it's well. just, super uncomfortable you take one medication to fix a problem and yes. that medication creates another problem yes. like i know i was on prednisone for a really long time um which is a horrible horrible steroid for your body like it can fix a lot of things and does a really good job of fixing it but the side effects that come along with it are horrible for your body long term especially on the higher dosages but one of the big things is they they prescribe like a merpazole with it as well which is like an over the or it's a prescription grade prilosec to help with heartburn or indigestion because the prednisone on high dosages it just makes your stomach acid so much more acidic and just you always feel the heartburn from it and it, it just backs everything you can have nothing in your stomach because when you have really bad colitis you don't want to eat a ton like you can wake up in the morning and you already have acid reflux and it's just from from the prednisone prednisone really does it but some of the other medications do it as well and it's like by the time you fix all the problems you had one problem to start with and now you're eight different prescriptions later because they all cause something else yes and you get to a point where it's like wow this one fixes i'm going crazy not only from all the different all the different side effects because they all come with a couple of them for the most part um but on top of it, depending on, you know, where you are financially, those prescriptions add up, you know, like oh. six or seven different prescriptions, yes. even at $40 a month, some of them being a lot more, I've been on some, some rather expensive ones. And now I'm on an IV based infusion, which is still my insurance company pays a lot for it. It adds up and it adds to the stress, which then requires more pills or something else sometimes. So. Absolutely. I, I found that through my, my MS journey, 20, 21 years now, things that have helped, it doesn't eradicate the disease for sure, but like meditation and just kind of like staying calm and stretching and doing yoga. But even some days I get so frustrated and I have to be honest, like all the meditation in the world and all the oming and yoga that you can do in the world doesn't help when you are just feeling so crappy. When you you know, are having one of those days where you're just like, I don't even want to get out of bed. And, you know, uh, it's, it's not easy. It's honest, it's really not easy. And although people think that, you know, relapsing remitting is kind of like, 
a lot of people in the MS community find that there's this hierarchy, like people who look like me because I'm still, you know, walking and not using any assisted de a device or anything like that, that, you know, like we have it easier. Oh, because you don't look sick. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten that well, before. I mean, I, I fall in the severe side of colitis. Okay. I'm in the severe because of, of the severity of it. Like when I'm in a full flare up, it covers 85 to 90% of my large intestine, which is really bad, really bad. And <clears throat> I have a, you know, I have a really small number of medications that I can use and it would be great to be on the mild side of colitis where I could just take like a pill a day. It's not that crazy and, and, and it holds everything. So I understand the hierarchy and there's, there's always different severities of, of a lot of different conditions, but at the end of the day, it sucks for everyone. It, it sucks for everyone. And there's a lot of limitations that it puts on for everyone, regardless of where you fall on the scale for some people. Yeah. It sucks a little more, unfortunately. And right being someone that is on the severe side of colitis, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone just because they have the mild form of it and, you know, they're doing better. That's great. And I'm happy that they're able to, to use certain things um, and, and kind of be able to have more of a normal life. And I can't complain because I've been in remission for a long time. Um, and I, you know, my energy is nowhere near where it used to be. My bones are all messed up from the pre uh, prednisone that I was on for so long. So career-wise, same kind of thing. I've pushed away from what I went to school for um, and what I love doing because I'm a mechanic. I have a mechanical mindset. Turn and wrench for 25 years is not conducive to your health as a normal person that's fully functional, let alone if your body's already pre-broken. So... I, I get the different levels of it, but I think at the end of the day, the people that have it more severe that are lashing out on people that have like mild versions, they're just, they're not in the right space yet. I mean, we all have those stages that we go through where we're kind of coming to terms with everything we have. And we all go through those little pity party stages where the world hates us. And why did we, you know, what, what did we get to do to be at this point in life? And it's been a while since I've been there. And, and now I'm at the point where I'm trying to help other people with chronic illnesses and, and not only colitis, but other, other ones as well. Yes. But I think it takes a while. Like everyone, everyone goes through different things mentally. And it took a really long time for me to kind of understand what I say all the time now, which is pain puts things into perspective. And that perspective has given me a purpose. Yes. And I really believe that like everything that I've dealt with the lowest of the low points of my disease, which are really low um, up until now, I understand that if I didn't go through any of that, I wouldn't be at the point now where it's like, okay, time to advocate for other people, not only for my community, but for all the communities in general that, that need more of that exposure um, and try to create a platform to let people have a voice because a lot of people don't. And I think it's super important. And I say it all the time that regardless of what you're diagnosed with, I believe that we all deal with 70 to 80% of the same stuff, same experiences, same struggles, same, you know, being treated differently by employee, you know, other coworkers, by your, you know, your social life changing, relationships being more challenging because of what we're diagnosed with, financial issues, because 
40% of disabled people in, in the world are living below the poverty line. So it affects all of us, regardless of what we have. And I don't think there, there should really be, well, I'm more broken than you. Like, no, we all have a bunch of issues and we all deal with a lot of stuff. And we need to pool all of our resources to help each other because whether you have a rare disease where there's a thousand people in the world with it, or you have a disease where, you know, 10 million people in the world have it, you guys can share experiences together and help each other through everything. So it's, I see those people and the way I look at it is like, oh, you're still, you're still getting used to your, your diagnosis. I'm sorry you're in a lot of pain and haven't, haven't kind of gotten in your rhythm yet. I remember that point for me. Give it a couple of years and you'll, you'll come around hopefully. Yeah. Or no, you're just going to be miserable forever. Like, I don't. That's right. Because that's the thing. You, like, with colitis, uh -huh. I have a good sense of humor. And there's some people in the colitis community that hate it. They wow. hate it. Like, I say, I say I have a broken butt. Yeah. That's what I have. Like, I, yeah. for late, like, if somebody asks me what's wrong with me, I have a broken butt. Yeah. You, like, that should give you enough information where if you want to ask more questions, yeah. You know, you might get some answers you don't want to hear. Yeah. but it explains it enough and, and some people they they don't like that they don't like that I'm like you have got to have a good sense of humor when you have a chronic illness you're going to be miserable forever right so. <laughs> but you know it's if you don't laugh it's like what are you going to end up doing crying all the time you know what I mean or being miserable and they've done that I'm good that's yeah nowhere near I have two questions for you well actually mm -hmm. I have three questions for you so how old were you when you were diagnosed 17 so oh I had God. just graduated, so I was no longer in school, okay. which I'm thankful for because mm -hmm. I cannot imagine high school, or middle school, or any school with colitis. Just graduated, um, went to my family's vacation house for the summer, got food poisoning. Food poisoning put enough stress on my, my digestive tract where it caused the colitis to come out because it is a hereditary thing. Like okay, My dad does have was... it. My grandfather has... Okay. had digestive issues so yes. <clears throat> it yeah. is a hereditary thing yeah so I've had okay. it for 10 years now well no well 10 and a half I'm 28 now so okay so do you find that you like I don't know because at 17 you don't really know who you are but like do you so, grieve like a self that you thought that you would be or a former so I think it comes in waves. So I'm actually in the Diversibility Leadership Collective, which is the closed group that they have. And we were talking about, we had a, a grief podcast where they were talking about how grief kind of comes more in waves yeah. than it happens and just stops. Um, and, and I can agree with that. So I talk a lot and I've had various discussions with various people that I believe it's better to have something at a younger age or to be born with it. Um, now I know school is a whole nother challenge and I don't have any experience having colitis in school. However, at 17, I just finished up school. I didn't have a career path. I didn't have a kid. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a family. I didn't have like a career, everything already in place. So I got kind of kicked with maturity before anything happened that was set in stone that I had to figure out. Um, and I see a ton of people in the groups that are like newly married, just had a kid, second kid, just got a new career. 
just made a bunch of sacrifices for a new career, and now they have Crohn's or colitis, or in some of the other groups, they have a they have a condition that they just got diagnosed with, and it's like catastrophic to where they are. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a new kid, and now you have extra financial obligations, and you have to keep another human being alive, or you just changed careers, you just got a new job, and oh, now I'm going to take like four weeks off because I'm sick. Um, and I see it causing a lot more problems for those people. And I, I think at the younger age, I can adapt over to it. Now, there were still waves of like grief. Like the beginning of this year, I turned down a diesel apprenticeship position. Um, it was a four-year apprenticeship. I would be making a lot more money than I do now. Um, and I love automotive. I love diesel. Stuff. Like diesel mechanic would be my ideal job to have just because I love tinkering and I love diesel compared to gas just because they're bigger engines and a diesel mechanic, you can work on everything from boats, trains, um, tractor trailer trucks, construction equipment, everything. Like there's a lot broader of a spectrum for it. So personally, if I got bored with one thing, I could just change, move around, still do the same general career. But I had to turn the, I turned the job down because I, I looked at, you know, where I'm at now 28 I have bad bones I've been in remission for a while but my colitis kind of kicks up here and there when I'm on a good day I'm running at 80 percent of the energy I used to have and that's my max like 80 is my max I don't get to 100 anymore 80 is my 100 um and since I've had the vaccine in April which I don't know if the vaccine caused it I'm still figuring out my energy has been more down like 40 to 60 range not 80 um i don't know if it's just because i got it too close to an infusion of mine i'm st- we're still working on figuring that out or if it's because i had covid before and i i don't know so i'm still working on that one mm-hmm. but the realization of hey diesel's a very very heavy duty large parts large pieces heavy duty equipment having bad bones alone I can't imagine how many bones I would break between now and, you know, 20, 25 years down the road when I retire, or at least with the, the career aspect before you can retire. So yeah, no, that, that was kind of a realization recently. Like, ah, man. and I spent like two years getting ready to apply for that apprenticeship too. And that was, that was a hard one to turn down because you have to go through a whole um, testing program here where you have to go to college. You have to take the college test, get placed um, where you scale and what classes you can place into because the um, the apprenticeship program play, pays for c- classes at the college for you to get training. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a long process. Turned it down. And, you know, I'm, I'm 10 years into my disease and I've known I've had it. It's no surprise. And it still kind of is affecting things like that. So it's, I don't know. I think that there's always a debate of when you get it. And I've had some people like, oh, you know, I'm happy I had my normal years. And if they got it later in life, then they can adjust over to it. Versus, I know some people, especially if people are you know, born with, with a condition or disability or, or illness, it's their normal. So it doesn't really bother them. And I think if you can create a normal before you have like a fully functional life as an adult, I think it's easier in the long run maybe not starting out but in the long run I can agree with that I was 25 when I was diagnosed and I had 
I experienced, you know, teenage years, college years, and then like right after college, experiencing, you know, like fun, happy hour with friends and, you know, just life, living life and no marriage, no kids, nothing, you know, and I was enjoying that. And then like at my prime, I was diagnosed. So at least I had a taste of it, but I still grapple with even, well, maybe like from 25 to 35, I never really like, or 34, I would say, I never really like experienced missing an old self because I never had visible symptoms. I didn't get visible symptoms until I was like 36, 37. And that's when my life like was really, it just changed. So I understand where, what you're saying, like turning things down because I've had to do that too. And it's like, I don't know, you know, what's best for, for my, my physical body. You know, I want to have a good quality of life. And I think that's what a lot of us struggle with, you know, when it, when it comes to career, career change or moves or, or anything like that, it's like, what is my quality of life going to look like if I make this decision? Well, and you got to, you got to take into account like insurance too, like what yes. kind of a job carries insurance. I mean, my, my infusions I get every six weeks, they're mm-hmm. $8,000 a piece before insurance kicks in. So if I don't have a job that has insurance that covers it, I'm paying $8,000 every week, six weeks to stay functional and alive. How can anybody afford that? And that's, that's cheap. So yeah. in the colitis community in, in the U S the highest I've seen is about $25,000 yeah. I saw that um, for Remicade and normally it's every eight weeks. Okay. That was somebody posted in Colorado. That was the cost of it through a hospital. So mine's a little bit cheaper. I think it'd be about 15 grand here if I was at a hospital, but I do it through my doctor's office and it ends up being around. I think the medication itself is charged at like six or seven and they, the administration from my doctor's office is another like grandish or so, which I think they've done something because looking at my recent bills it seems like the numbers are a lot lower frequent more recently than they have been because normally it's like boom this big number and it's like pending you owe it and then your insurance kicks in eventually but can i ask what part of the country do you live in north south east west so i'm in uh, virginia beach virginia oh okay so So we're in the same kind of region i'm in dc i'm right in the heart of washington dc so you understand like, well, number one, the cost of living on this side of the world. Well, yeah, yeah. In this area is kind of you know, expensive. And then- well, I, I came from, I came from New England. So, I mean, the DC is very expensive. Uh, Virginia beach is, isn't that bad. There's some right. areas that are expensive, the closer you are to the water, right. um, but it's, it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, the, well, the cost of being, sure. the cost of having colitis is more than the cost of living for, for me, at least like, oh. I think, I think that's one of the things talking about, you know, how just things that affect you over life. I think the, the amount of money that I've spent just to be functional bothers me the most. So, you know, I'm at that age where my friends are buying like new houses. Well, maybe not new houses. They're buying houses and renovating. They got that, like their dream car, you know, they're on their second or third kid. And I'm over here like, yep, I got a bunch of medical debt. Yeah. You look at bills going through the mail. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think the past 10 years I've spent about 60 grand on medical debt um, and just expenses. And I have another roughly 10 to 15 that I have to pay off from a couple infusions that weren't covered. So I'm paying for out of pocket, which is fun. Um, and that's but, painful. Well, yeah, because that's, that's a third of a house down here because a, a townhouse, well, before the housing market went crazy, it's like 150 grand. Right. That's 
two to three project cars because I have a couple cars I want to build and kind of redo. That's 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 two brand new trucks, like like a two two Tacomas that run like thirty grand a piece. That's two brand new Tacomas paid off. Like that's a lot of stuff for me. That's just nope. Got to stay functional. Right. No, I I get it. I I had my beautiful home. I'm divorced now, but uh, bought a house after my divorce and absolutely, absolutely loved it. And due to medical costs and bills, I couldn't keep it, keep it up. And then my disability check was not cutting it and went through my savings. And I mean, just the struggle and having a child. And I was like, okay, something's got to give. And I had to sell my house and I kick myself every day because I said, why didn't I just rent it out and make it work somewhere else? But um, I think- You're dealing with so much, you don't Mm -hmm. think about those kind of things. Like it's such a stressful experience. Looking back at it, like, oh my God, why didn't I just do that? Like, what what was I thinking? And and you're dealing with so much, you're not thinking. And not even pointing out, a lot of the medications affect how you think. And they they throw things off. I love that you're saying that, yes. Oh yeah. When, when I was in the higher doses of, of prednisone, I would get mood swings. Mm-hmm. I would get just angry all of a sudden. Like I had a lot of problems in my relationship when I was starting out because the high dosage of, of prednisone, I would be just good one minute and just pissed off the next for no reason, no reason, or super emotional, or I'd freak yeah. out about things for, for a little while. I was, I was having hallucinations because I was on such a high dosage and I didn't even realize it like it was it was bad and that's not even the depression which you can't you can't even tell I mean when you when you first diagnosed and everything's changing I don't think you really tell where the depression comes from it's like oh is it one of the medications I don't know maybe it's my life just changed and I got a bunch of stuff I'm dealing with who knows it could (laughs) be the the four medications I'm on it could be the fact that oh I can't do xyz you know all these things that used to make me me don't exist anymore right I don't know where the depression's coming from. Like, no clue. It just, it just, it just popped out of nowhere. There's no reason it should be here. Right. So, and, and, and I, know, t- I talk about that a lot. We try to have like a logical discussion around depression. Yeah. Like everything we deal with, it is a hundred percent. Okay. If you're depressed, like there's a hundred reasons that justify between the medical costs, between the changes in your life, the dreams that just died when you get diagnosed with something that, you know, all the changes, like you're talking about not being able to keep your house because of the medical bills or, or yes. financial changes. Those are 100% okay to have depression, you know, to deal with depression. It's how you, how you handle it. It's a whole nother discussion. Well, but it's okay to feel that like there's exactly. nothing wrong with that. And I had to tell myself that it was okay because I'm super independent, super like, you know, I'm going to, I'm a go-getter and nothing's going to keep me down and just keep going. You know, I, nobody can oppress me or, you know, I just like have that mentality. I've always had that mentality. And so when I faced that point where it was like, okay, you got to give this up or like somebody's going to take it, (laughs) you know, and it just kind of like spun me into this like really dark place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's been, it's been like two and a half years now. And I'm still struggling with it, to be honest with you, Alex, I still like, it's a challenge it's a challenge so for me the first like two years are probably the worst um at the peak of my flare 
right before I went to the hospital was probably the absolute lowest just because of the physical pain every night. Um, definitely suicidal. I would think about it every night, every night, because I would get two to three hours of sleep if that, because um, I was constantly in the bathroom. I mean, I was in the bathroom 30 to 40 times a day on a bad day. So even like the softest of toilet paper hurts by that time. Um, and for me, like the one thing that worked on those really bad nights, I would listen to Jason Mraz, I Won't Give Up, and I'd sing it to myself in the mirror. And to this day, like that's the best thing that I've, I've kind of done. And that's not necessarily the best way to handle it. You know, when, you, when you're at that point, there are professionals you can talk to. And being 17 and a male, we know how amazingly open of a platform there is when you want to talk about your feelings. <laughs> so I kind of bottled it all up, which was a bad thing, but, but talk about it a lot. Um, and I think we all have those kind of like, like we were talking about the waves, the waves of kind of depression, waves of grief, and it's okay. Cause you know, as it goes on, as opportunities come up in your life or as things that you wanted to be, have reached by the, you know, whatever age you're at that don't happen because of, of your, um, you know, your financial standpoint or your, your work standpoint from what you're being diagnosed with, it's kind of okay. Like it, it, it's, it's not fun, but it's, it's okay. And, and I'm finding getting in the advocacy space. I've only been here for six months, roughly. Yeah. Six or so months doing the podcast. Um, a lot of doors have closed but starting to advocate for other people and, and help the community a lot more have opened and a lot more are still opening, um, which is really cool. And I've had a lot of general growth in the past six months. Cause I, I definitely walled myself off for a long time between family stuff and, and, you know, um, colitis, but I think it, it more comes down to prioritizing health and mental health because right. in America, we have a great system if you get to the point of being suicidal, there's a number you can call. Yes. But we don't have a dis- we don't have any sort of a discussion up till that point. No. Which is Let a problem. Me, it is a problem. And this is like, I, I always wanted to ask, and I think you would answer this uh, honestly. Do you find it or have you found it to be difficult being a man and what society, what our typical society like right now views as masculine and strong and virile and you have this chronic illness it's like no you're supposed to have this hot chick on your arm you're supposed to have you know this flashy car do you, so, you find it hard here's my viewpoint to that? Mm-hmm. um and it took a while to get here mm-hmm. so these past two years i've been working on me got out of a super toxic relationship that lasted way too long um and that lasted like three years and i realized wow this is three years of no growth. Like I didn't grow at all. We weren't growing on working towards anything. I was like, what in the world was I doing? So over the past two years, I've been like, okay, you know what? I really need to work on self-growth. Like I haven't done any in a long time. I need to get to a better point. I'm not happy where I am financially, just all around. Um, so I started looking at a lot of different things, tried a couple of different things for like starting businesses I, for a while, I was buying and selling like collectibles, um, Pokemon cards, the really rare ones. I'd buy them and flip them and turn around. And I ended up getting into photography for 
to collectibles. Mm -hmm. And from that got into like nature photography, um, automotive photography, a little bit of videography. <clears throat> and this whole advocacy thing and helping the community has kind of been, it's been haunting me for a while. Uh, I, I'm yeah, haunting is, is the right word. Like it's been in my mind that I, I need to do something. Um, but I haven't found the right, I, I either made excuses, hadn't found the right platform, wasn't confident enough. And last year, January 22nd, 2020, I shaved my head and started growing out my beard. I was getting tired of, of looking at myself with like half of my hair because of medication I was on, I lost a lot of it, um, which helped a lot. Like I'm a lot happier with how I look and, and who I am now. But that was kind of the start of that, that growth. And I started listening to more podcasts, motivational ones, and thought about the idea of a YouTube channel, made a couple of videos. And I was like, no, I do photography, like I'm, I'm too much of a perfectionist to do this, but I game, I'm a gamer. So I was like, mm -hmm. I could do audio, like podcast, got it. <laughs> Started recording a couple episodes um, and got to like the mental health one, talking about how I you know, felt suicidal at a point. That was a really hard one. But after I kind of got that off my chest, I was like, wow, okay. Oh, this feels good. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. Talk about it. And even to just random people that are listening, it feels good. Right. And after I made it past that point, I kind of started thinking about a lot of just general growth and I realized, okay, I was, you know, I was nervous about talking, talking about that, that kind of part of my life, even though it was so long ago, but I came to a realization when I was talking about being suicidal and kind of where I was in the past. And, and it came down to the things that I thought about myself when I was suicidal, nobody has even come close to ever telling me in my life and nobody will ever beat say anything worse to me and it made me realize you know what I don't care what other people think I'm gonna say you know talk about my opinion when it comes to this society this community and I'm not worried about how other people are gonna view it because nobody's gonna think anything worse or lower of me than I've thought of myself I've had to convince myself every you know, night before, hey, I want to see tomorrow and remind myself that I was worth that. Nobody's going to tell me or put me down more than I had put myself. And that made me realize, I'm like, wow, if nobody can tell me anything worse than I've thought of myself. And I've made it past that. Then I don't I'm like, yeah. yeah, okay. I'm, I'm a male. So what? I'm also one of the, the, one of the, what small portion of us that is actually talking about how we feel in our, in our, you know, kind of experiences because I on this podcast I would say about 80% of the people I talk to are, are women and there's nothing wrong with that it's just guys don't talk about what they've been dealing with anywhere near as often and that's fine um I realize we kind of all have our different path and and part of realizing you know I'm not worried about what other people think about me I also came up with the whole you know pain puts things into perspective and that perspective has given me a purpose and can give other people a purpose I think that's really important is I'm where I'm at because of everything I've been through. And my goal is to impact other people and help other people in the community suffer less. All these people that have the fancy cars and everything, they're focused on them and themselves only. They're not going to leave a lasting impact. They're not going to help people. They're not going to take someone that's struggling with their diagnosis and could potentially become suicidal or commit suicide and bring them back 
to the light side of things, they're not going to be doing all that stuff. So it's great that you have this fancy car that you rented for a photo shoot. Cause I do photography. I know that like 80% <laughs> of social media, those cars are rented. Yes. Everything they have is rented and the money's fake because you can buy fake hundred dollar bills on Amazon and they're, they're oh. like the front side look real and the back side is fake. So you, <laughs> you can fake all of the fancy stuff. That's great. Right. As soon as you yeah. stop faking all that. And as soon as you stop having nice things, all of your audience disappears. Absolutely. So but chronic illness forces you to be hundred percent real and like because how can you hide how can you continue to hide it you know what I mean like you can't let's say you're on a date and you're like okay what are you gonna do like fake it hide it no like you can't well that's that's one of the things that that I found out so so dating taught me that one because dating Mm -hmm. is it's fun with a chronic illness and I've talked Mm -hmm. about it in some ass episodes so I've been on a ton of the dating apps a whole bunch of them across the board um and kind of got a feel for it so at first I was like okay I wouldn't bring up colitis and I'd start to have some really good conversations with some cool girls and maybe go on some dates hang out a couple times no big deal as soon as I bring up colitis eight out of ten of them would flake eight out of ten eighty percent flake right out just could have amazing conversations connect on a bunch of things have similar hobbies have things that we like doing whatever you know going great bring it up eight out of ten bailed kept trying kept trying same kind of thing eight out of ten would bail i would keep moving it up a little bit more doing it a little more often maybe maybe getting it off of the bat and the sooner you say it the more people bail faster and started thinking about it i throw it out there i just completely put it out there everyone i work with knows everyone around me my social circle knows because And it took a while to learn, but because I want you to weed yourself out for for me. Absolutely. I want you to be, if you're that nine out of 10 people, I want you to just get out of my way. I don't even want to waste the time to talk to you and say hello. I want to go for that one out of 10 that's worth talking to. So I find that, and I talk about that when it comes to like your social circle. And Mm -hmm. I've kind of talked about it with some of the like 10 rules for chronic living your social circle is really important getting toxic people out of it is important but yes. more importantly not bringing toxic people into it is right. super important yes. and i think that's for me when it came to dating and and just kind of my social circle in general the sooner you get what you're dealing with out it automatically filters because the more people know about you and, and the longer they're around you before they find that out the more of a use they have out of you a lot of people these days, they focus on what you have and what they can gain from you. Well, when you have a chronic illness and a disability that, that reduces how much you can gain from that person. So it, it, it gets those people to flake off a lot faster. So I'm all about having a smaller circle that's, that's more um, a higher quality circle. However, doing the podcast, I'm starting to realize you don't really need that small of a circle and it's still like in the community, everybody's everybody that I've talked to is amazing. So you can still have a massive social circle. You just need to do it with the right people. Right. And the social circle is still amazing. Um, For sure. And stay away yeah. from energy vampires as I yeah. call them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're still, they're still new on their journey. They'll, they'll get to the advocacy point at some point. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's, I've learned a lot, a lot more recently too. A lot of it in the past two years out of my 10 years, 
but yeah, it's. I think you you saying that just kind of like sparked a thought. It's like there comes a time where you have to like accept that you have to come to an acceptance point because we do believe it or not, we do go through the five stages of grief when you have a chronic illness and you go through that. And it's like, you may not go in order, but you might start in denial. You might start, you know, in shock or I don't remember all the stages, but (laughs) right at the moment. Funny that um, you say that. Why is that? So I had somebody on um, that came on to talk about addiction and depression. Uh Mm-hmm. and through our conversation and kind of talking about all the different stages that we've been through, especially mm-hmm. you know, me relating to some of the stuff she was talking about, she actually brought up the fact that chronic illness is a lot like a, um, an addiction as far as how you can handle it. And there's actually 12 step groups for chronic illness because you go through a lot of the same stages. So the 12 step program in small areas is actually working for people. And I looked it up and a lot of them do make sense. Um, Because it's the same thing, you know, the denial, acceptance, and then once you make it past acceptance, the last step is helping other people, which comes to the advocacy. Because I was talking about, I I looked it up, I've actually made it through most of the steps just kind of on my own. I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time, and it kind of worked out that way. But yeah, there's there's a lot of different steps to it, and there's no rhyme or reason to maybe you go out of order on on a few of them. But yeah, it's, there's, there's a process to everything, and I think part of my growth is I make motivational posters for my Instagram. I post two motivational posters a day and I make them all. So I look up and I look at motivational quotes all day, certain days. I'll dedicate a Saturday. I will dedicate like 16 hours to just taking pictures and quotes, matching them up and creating them. So I can post them on Instagram because I have them scheduled out. I have them scheduled out months in advance to keep the people that follow me engaged on that aspect. So when I start throwing more podcast content on there with the motivational posters, it, the algorithm helps me out. That's a whole marketing thing. Um, but doing that, I realized like there's a lot of motivational quotes and a lot of things that, that can just reading them. You're just like, wow. Um, and right before I started the podcast, I, I read somewhere, it was, it was a question and said, where would you be if you put 40 hours a week into yourself? And I was like, oh my God, I waste. Oh my God. So much time growing because I used to work retail. I was like, I wasted so much time making Best Buy a better company. Yeah. I was like, 40 hours a week. I'm like, I used because I I at one point I worked two jobs. I was working 60 to 80 hours a week mm-hmm. between both of them. I was like, what in the hell am I doing doing all this work? I'm like, yeah, okay, I get a small pathetic paycheck from Best Buy working seasonal at the end of the every two weeks, but like, hey, we dumping all this time into a podcast. And then I see things like um, one of the other ones I really, really like, and I'm not super religious, but I do have my, my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, talent is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. And that one hit me because I like, I am not, or well, was not a social person. I have been isolated from society I've moved 22 times in my life mostly as a kid so I don't have any friends growing up and then the colitis puts you in a whole like another level of isolation because you can't go drinking you can't go partying can't go all these crazy food places so you you don't socialize as much and you know coming on the podcast I was like okay you know what my talent hopefully is inspiring other people to help people which is is the the overall goal 
So yeah, there's a lot of things that kind of resonate and as you get more involved in the advocacy and as you get more involved in the growth space, all these things start to pop out and you're just like, wow, okay. It's like your mind's just blown. Like, wow, that is, that is a good yeah. point. Well, you have to learn how to paradigm shift. You have to learn how to, I think paradigm shift, I think growth, I think acceptance, all of that is just, it's like one step after the other. At kind of like what you were saying about the 12 step program, like you have to go through these stages. You have to, in order to live a life that is meaningful and live a life like do you want to what kind of life do you want to live do you want to leave behind sadness and sorrow and misery to you know people that love you and you're you know or do you want to like be happy life is short mm -hmm. and we weren't given this these illnesses for like no reason either you turn it around and try to do something about it like you said you know create advocacy and, and try to help others or you just wallow in your sorrow and I, I, like you, I chose the, the, the opposite route, not wallowing and trying to advocate for others. Well, and I think it's, I think it's super important to advocate for others, but I, I think at the end of the day, I don't have a lot of money. Right. I have time and I can put effort into something. Yeah. I'm not going to cure colitis. I didn't go into bioengineering. I don't have a degree in anything even remotely close to that. I'm not going to cure this disease. I'm not going to cure cancer. I'm not going to cure multiple sclerosis. I'm not going to cure any of these diagnoses. But what if I can inspire someone to choose to wake up on another day and they end up turning into the person that, that cures cancer or colitis or whatever their diagnosis. And I say that because a couple of years ago, there was a little, little boy in... They, they put him in the irritable bowel disease groups because he had a bunch of complications and 26 surgeries by the time he was 10. And he ended up having one of the little ostomy bags and he got teased in school for it. And at 10, his mom went to the store, he ended up hanging himself. 10 years old after 26 surgeries. I can't even imagine 26 surgeries at 28, let alone 10. And it really got me thinking because those people that are in those age range, young kids that are diagnosed with, with different conditions, if we can get them the help and the resources that they need to make whatever they're diagnosed with acceptable in their, you know, in their school as, as you know, a condition and acceptable as, as a, something that they're dealing with in life, and we can inspire them young to be involved in the community and to help other people that have, you know, chronic illnesses and disabilities, what can they turn into? I have this disease and I felt like helping other people because when I was at my lowest of my low, it sucked. And I don't want anyone else to have to experience that. So I want to help other people understand how to get, get, make smarter decisions, you know, be more open about your diagnosis, talk to your doctors more so you don't get to that low. Well, what if we can get kids that are at their lowest point, they don't want to make it till, you know, they don't want to wake up tomorrow. What if we can pull them back, give them hope, show them what they can do to help the community? And what if they decide to make, turn their entire life into doing it? What if they're the ones that decide, hey, you know what? Colitis isn't going to beat me. They grow up and they're like, oh, you know what? I want to cure this. I want to cure this disease 
I don't want to deal with it. I don't want other kids to deal with it. I don't want other people to deal with it. They go into bioengineering. They create a new drug for it. They create a cure for it. They create a new way to treat it that's less painful. Because I've seen, like, at 17, I was in a pediatric gastroenterologist, and I would go and get an infusion. An adult, they put an infusion in, like, your, the IV in, like, your hand or, like, your arm. Right. Kids, if they're getting them often enough, they put a central line into their heart through oh. their chest. It's a oh. little IV line and it pokes through their chest. And I've been in there when it when a nurse had to put one in a kid and the screams that they make when they're getting it's poked through their chest, the IV line. God, it's it's horrible. I so can. if a kid's going through that and experiences that, and then someone in the advocacy community pulls them into the community and kind of gives them hope what if they're the ones that create a better way to do that iv or a better system for kids it's just something there's so many what ifs if we help the community and especially help the younger generation that's getting diagnosed more often there's so many what ifs of of how it could change the future so i might not cure my disease but somebody i can inspire because I made a podcast because I shared my experiences. Someone I can inspire might cure a horrible disease or might come up with a treatment that's no longer $20,000 in infusion, but you know, $500 for a treatment for the month. Oh, for sure. Because there's yeah, a ton I of mean, people that don't have insurance that just forego those infusions because they can't afford. So what if, what if someone I inspire that I can inspire can change the path that our, our illnesses are on? We are setting the foundation. I mean, pediatric MS is very much real as well. And I think that if caregivers listen to my podcast or listen to my advocacy work and pay attention, then yeah, someone, somebody is going to pay attention and there will be a cure and there will be, or maybe not a cure, but there will be, you know, more research into how to you know, kind of stop the illness in its tracks. You know, it's like, there's hope. I, I've, I have to believe that. I, and I want to, I want to continue to believe that. And that's why I fight so often. And that's why I love having conversations with you and other people in the chronic illness community is so impactful and so powerful because we're so much, I know this is like so cliche, but we are stronger together. You know what I mean? Well, well not even that. I mean, that's, that's a big point and that we are, you know, and, and I talk about it all the time and that's part of why I kind of lump all the, all the stuff together is I'm trying to build one giant community versus all mm -hmm. the little tiny pockets everywhere, just for more of a, of a force behind it. Mm -hmm. But I think very, very strongly that all of us are stronger than the average person in quite a few ways. And, and I think as bad as some diagnosis, diagnoses can be, I think it makes us better because of it in a lot of different ways. Oh, yeah. I can tell you my pain threshold is a hell of a lot higher because of what I've been through. Yeah. I'm mentally decades stronger than someone my, my age because of what I've had to deal with. I'm more empathetic. I'm more understanding of other people because I know what they're going through. I know what they're roughly experiencing. I might not know exactly the pain that they're feeling, but I understand at that level of it is ungodly pain. So I feel for you. We're, you know, we're better at communicating because we have to communicate all these fun 
awkward things to our doctors that we've never met before, especially when you have a, a broken butt. Like those right. are some fun conversations. <laughs> um, hey, I'm deal I deal with incontinence. So I'm always like either wearing a depends or praying that I'm not like peeing on myself in Target or something. <laughs> yep. So the, there's there's all those awkward. So we're better at communicating. Yes. Um, so the I I view these as as much as it's restricting on certain things, I view us a lot stronger because of it, a lot better off in certain aspects because of it. I, I wouldn't say I'd wish any of these conditions on people, but I think they, they teach us a lot in how to treat other people. Um, and I think that's why you see a lot of people in this space, in the advocacy space within the communities, because we're trying to create platforms we wish we had when we got diagnosed. Yes. And we're trying to create that that network of people that we wish we had exposure to when we got diagnosed. Hundred so, percent, you know, love it. Yeah. So I rant. I rant a lot about all the different all the different ideas in my head. <laughs> no, but, this is awesome. I I'm like I said, I'm just super grateful to be able to share in this space and talk with you and and. And, Talk I, and about. I think that's that's an important thing too that that I want to see more of in the advocacy space is just normal people, normal people that are diagnosed with something talking. Like it doesn't always have to be this amazing person that's been advocating forever. Like I talked to some really, I talk to a lot of people that are super nervous when they get yeah. on because they've never talked on a podcast before. They're always super nervous. Like oh, I've never done anything like this. I'm like, look, it's a conversation. It's good. It's just going to be a back and forth. Like you're going to, you're going to enjoy it. And it's but about talking. The guilt and the shame that come with having something wrong, putting United in air quotes wrong with you. You know what I mean? Like it makes like the average Joe not want to talk about it. So when you get a celebrity that gets out there and they want to talk about it, then it's like, oh, okay. Celebrities talking about it. So it's okay for me to talk about it now because that person has it, you know, and they kind of glamorize it when someone who is like well known has an illness that they're struggling with. And I get kind of resentful with that because it's like, well, what about the average Joe or Jane? Because we're out here too. You know, awareness is awareness. It starts somewhere and grows yeah. from there. It's, it's, it's not ideal awareness. Right, right. Um, yeah. But people yeah. jumping on the bandwagon, at least they're aware of it. Yeah, so they can they can be a little bit more in tune with it. But or when you get one of those those you know celebrities or stars that's like, hey, they they throw out like a great resource for the community. I think that's that's really impactful. That um, is for sure. It's it's less than, like I mean I understand. Yeah, you're living with it. It's it's great that you're living with it. No, I don't care about your daily routine because you have so much more money to dump into it. Like, I don't care right. about your diet because the average person is not going to be able to do that. Yep. But when you're like, hey, you know, I went here, I went to this shelter or I used this resource or I went with it, worked with this organization. That's something that a lot of people can have exposure to and like, oh my God, I didn't even know that was a resource and they can look into it. So I think there's, there's, there's ups, you know, pluses and, and negatives with that um, or more useful information and less useful information. Like, it's great that you spend $10,000 a day on your meal and you feel great for it. Like, right. yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. Uh, obviously, like you're not eating McDonald's or, or a microwave dinner every day. Like it sounds like your colitis is going to be doing better. Right. Oh, you had a professional chef cook Perfect. like this amazing exactly. meal from scratch. Oh, yeah, of course your diet's going to be great. But <laughs> no, when, when they bring up like, hey, you know, 
or they advocate for a specific organization that helps with certain things. That's super helpful. Yeah. Because even though people, a lot of people might be on the bandwagon of like, oh, that's great. There's a good chunk of those people that know somebody that's affected by whatever they're promoting and, and can get that resource to them. Right. So I think there's ups and downs of it. I think the biggest thing for me is, is bringing all the communities together because if you put everybody with a chronic illness, everybody that's disabled, everybody that deals with mental health and then terminal illness altogether, that's more than 50% of the world population. It really is. Like we, people that are broken in some way, shape or form, physically or mentally, we make up the majority of the, of the world. Yes. So if, and that, that's part of why I like, because this podcast was going to start as just a colitis and Crohn's podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was going to call it let's talk shit because I have a good <laughs> sense of humor. I love it. That's what it was going to be. Yeah. But I wanted to do something bigger than that because there's a ton of podcasts for colitis. There's a ton of resources just for colitis and Crohn's. I want to pull everybody together into one big group because as a big group, we are a massive population that can do something as colitis. There's only three to 4 million Americans that have colitis in a population of, you know, 336 million. That's if you get everyone with colitis, all 4 million people, you might be able to make a change, but on average, you get five to 10% of a population to do something. If that's, it's what 150,000, 200,000 people, 200,000 people aren't going to change a damn thing. No, no matter how loud they scream, no, not going to change a thing. Like you need tens oh, of millions of people yes and i think that's the important thing is is creating a narrative of creating a giant community and the mm-hmm. community focuses on something right we focus on one issue we fix that issue we resolve yes. that issue we stop that issue and we pull back and we're like all right who needs help now oh diabetes pharmaceutical companies are playing with you let's throw our effort at them you know oh. we we could we could do that not to cut you off i'm sorry but we could we could come together and not be so like focused on just our lane but we can come together and work what's that it it works it does there's already a system in the u.s that does this it's called the american cancer society they do it with cancer they lumped all of the cancers together and when you go to their website is cancer a to z all the different types of it They lumped it it. under one umbrella and all the rare cancers that are really small, they benefit from it because they get funding from the big cancer that gets overfunded, that doesn't need a ton of more funding. So all these rare cancers get researched because they're all grouped together and they can do that. They're like, all right, breast cancer is good. We got plenty of research for this year. Let's go get this, you know, let's go, let's go focus on this other cancer that doesn't get enough money because they're so small, but we got extra money. Let's move around. Right. We got extra resources. We got we extra scientists. Help. Yes. So the and Cancer can... Society has done exactly that with cancer. They've made it into a giant group. Nobody's going to say anything bad about cancer because everybody knows somebody that's been affected by some form of cancer. Exactly. And with us, we can start with mental health because let's yeah. pour all the money into mental health because all of us have faced it in that, in our Just crime. Move it all around. And we can say, look, Let's work on how much these prescription drugs are costing and why are we living in the poverty level? We are like educated, smart people. Like we want to live a normal life. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's, that's one of those things too, that a lot of people don't realize, like 
pharmaceutical companies make a lot of different drugs that affect a lot of different people. So when you have an issue like the insulin or the EpiPens, where there's a problem, there's a lot of companies that make different versions of medications that can be worked with. So for example, I have colitis, I'm on Remicade. Maybe the company that makes Remicade makes a bunch of other things and they make insulin. Yes. Well, they're not playing nice with their, their customers That's right. on insulin. Well, I can join the cause and I can switch my provider for Remicade. I could go to a different version of it. I could change medications. If I'm on something that's not quite working, maybe we switch, switch providers. Yep. I can throw my power at it because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't realize like you have a lot of power when it comes to your doctors, when it comes to your doctor's office, when it comes to your pharmaceutical level, because yes. there's a lot of money being exchanged. Oh, for sure. But just, just changing and moving doctor's office. You're taking thousands of dollars a year. If you deal with a specialist on a regular basis and moving them, moving that around. And that power also comes with medications. So it's thousands of dollars a year that you can just change from one generic brand to another generic like there's a ton of this there's some generic versions of Remicade that they just recently came out because they started posting that certain insurances aren't going to cover it well the company that makes it's doing things that don't agree with the rest of the the chronic community maybe i'll just go to the generic one just because it's eight thousand dollars a month they don't get any more right and, and you and get I think a thousand people to do that you get ten thousand people to do that. that's a lot of money it's a lot and we have to empower you know help to empower each other and and, and let folks know, look, without us, without patients, where are doctors going to be? Where are pharmaceutical companies going to be? They're nowhere. Yeah. So they, they need us. They so need our voice. They need our advocacy. They need that's our- part of the problem that I see with the communities because it's like, yeah, they're targeting diabetes and the diabetes customers can complain about it for a certain amount or the colitis customers complain about it for a certain amount. But if everybody that gets medication from that pharmaceutical company is like, hey, you need to cut the shit or we're jumping ship to another medication. That's hundreds of millions of dollars a year that that pharmaceutical company could possibly lose. So, you know what, when they're like, okay, you know what, we're not going to, we're going to raise the price a little bit because our, our costs went up. So we're going to raise the price a little bit. We're not going to like, you know, multiply it by 3000 and add 2000 on top of it. Like right. it's, it's not how this, uh, we're not going to do that. No. <clears throat> So that's, that's the big thing that, that I try to get across is like, we have these massive communities all spread out in these little tiny groups, yeah. we lump all the groups together. That is a massive community that could be like, yeah, no, that's not going to fly. Try it. See what happens. You're going to pay for it. Not us. Like it's going to hurt you. We can definitely do that. I just, I, I think it starts with conversations like this. And mm -hmm. I was going to say, I just don't know where we start, but I think it does start with conversations yeah. with people across the uh, chronic illness lines or groups because across we can help one another. Yeah. Yep. I mean, <clears throat> that's one thing I've been talking about in the, the Diversibility Leadership Collective was we recently were talking about a new movement, We the 15, which refers to the 15% of the world that is disabled permanently which equates to 1.2 billion people. Oh, that's wow. a lot. That's, that's a, a lot big of people. Fact. Wow. That is a lot of people. That's mind-blowing. That's just disabled. That is just disabled, permanently disabled. Oh my god. There gosh. are a lot of chronic conditions that do not qualify for permanent disability. That's right. There's also a lot of mental health stuff 
that doesn't fall under men, uh, permanent disability, including terminal illnesses, don't fall under disability. So 1.2 billion people in the world just out of the disabled community. That's a lot of voices. Now, think about all the other voices that, that, that don't fall under just that. Huh. So there are a massive amount of people that go through this stuff. So it's okay to, it's one of the big things we need to get. It's okay to talk about it because there's a lot of people that deal with it. Like the people that are going to knock you on it, they are the minority. They do not make up the majority of people because the minority, the majority of the world is dealing with some sort of major health right. issue, chronic disability, mental health, terminal illness. Like it affects a massive chunk of the world. So we got, if we got, we got everything together and actually planned it out, we could just be like, Hey, here's 300 million of us. Guess what yes. you're not going to do. Guess who, who's numbers. got 300 million eyes on, on their company. That's right. Play, play around with us. We'll find a new company. We'll start a new company. Like, <laughs> yeah, try us. For and, th- sure. and that's, that's what we, that's what we need to do because even the biggest groups of specific groups, just they're not big enough to do anything. They're not scary enough. If you could in America, if you could get 50 million people to focus on, on, on health, that's almost as many votes as a single presidential candidate got last, last election. Yeah. And, you know, I was, and that's, that's incredible because I was just going to say, do you think that if we even went the route of policy, you know what I mean? Like getting, because people do get political and we do take our needs and our focus to the, the steps of Congress, but are we being heard? 55 million people voted for each presidential candidate. That's, that was, I think what it roughly came down to right. follow like the exacts. You had 55 million people saying, hey, you need to make healthcare better. Right. How does the government ignore that? Like, if you could get 60 million people, that is more people than voted for a single president. Exactly. You can't, you can't ignore those things. A million people, when, when people sign all these petitions and, and, and try to make stuff happen, a million people get a platform. Maybe not a big one. Maybe they get a hearing. Maybe it doesn't happen anything. But 50 million people? Well, I think that that's it. There are two things. Hit them in the pockets and hit them going to the steps of Congress. Yeah. If you have have a big enough group, you can do so much with it. Yes. And and not even that funding-wise, like, so, so here's, here's, here's how I view it as a, as a brand and, and, and financially and trying to grow a podcast and eventually turning it into a brand. My biggest goal is to work towards listens to get sponsorships. Sponsorships add money to the brand, which allows for more advertising. But one of the biggest people that I follow in their growth is Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is a YouTuber that is growing at an exponential rate. Okay. with one of the highest engagements out of anybody as far as people actively engaging. And all he does is give away money. He gives away money and does ridiculous things with it, like giving away islands, having people compete for it. I would love to be the Mr. Beast of broken people. Yeah. So taking that financial sponsorship, the financial income and funneling it into the chronic community. Like being able to give away like 10 grand for, for medical expenses or to outfit somebody's 
house or car to be able to adapt to whatever their medical needs are. Right. Having that kind of a following around, say, a specific brand or person or group, the amount of financial sponsorships, advertising that they would be able to generate from large companies, because that is a massive, you know how many pharmaceutical companies would want to advertise to 50 million disabled Americans or chronic Americans all in one spot? Yes, they'd be knocking the door down. All in one spot. That that group would be so big, they could just go have a conversation like, hey, so we heard you're working on a medication for somebody, for a specific group. We could help you with that. We could help get it support, but you need to make it affordable for everybody. Like you could have those conversations and you could you could push the the pharmaceutical you know companies in the right direction because of how big of a group you have and because of how much money you could generate just from advertising you could do so much with it i would love like i have a couple goals first goal i want a mini truck so i can advertise because i live in virginia beach and virginia beach has 16 to 20 million people that come and visit here a year i live right by the ocean front which is the main area that everybody goes so i want a little mini truck i can brand out for the podcast to help grow awareness then I want to give away 10 grand. I would like to do a podcast bus at some point too, but like the, the long-term goal would be like a, a, a handicap accessible beach house that I could just have people come down for a week or two weeks and just have it fully covered and have let people come down that have you know various conditions or, or disabilities. And we could do those kind of things as a massive group. We could we could get have giveaways for people in the community that need it the most that have a ton of medical bills that could help with things like accessibility. So it's it's bringing the entire group together because it's not necessarily how much money all those individual people could put in themselves. Mm-hmm. It's how much money it could generate from companies wanting to have exposure to that. Exactly. I mean, do you know how many times I see a Humera commercial on the TV? Yes. You know how much money <laughs> they pay for that? Yes. I see them nonstop. All and I've been time. on Humera. I've been on Humera before. I just couldn't do the self-injections. Like that's. Yeah, that's I hard. I couldn't mentally do it. Like, nope, nope. And, and when I did them, those, those springs were, whew, they were harsh. They're a lot better now from what I've heard. They're not yeah. nowhere near as, as spring loaded. So they don't hurt as much, but you take some of that advertising money and start throwing it back into the community. You can do a lot with it. So that's, that's my my mindset on the, on the financial side of it. It's like, just grow a platform big enough with the chronic community, then start taking money for the advertising and give it back to the community, which is what Mr. Beast does with his YouTube platform, except this would be more focused on, Hey, people that really need it. Right. Oh yeah. So we can do this. And um, I'm with you. If you ever, you need someone, I'm, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I'm oh, I, got, I got a lot of stuff I'm working on a lot yes. of stuff. So yeah. I, I I obsess over the podcast in in a good way. That's like, good. So, so yeah. All right, rant, rant over about money. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you would like to add now that I'm done ranting? No, I I I think um, I, I think following people in in various communities is always helpful. Don't just stick to your your lane or your section speaking of that if you want to plug your podcast or any of your platforms go for it i'm all about people like who come on if you want to cross promote go for it 
Yeah, for sure. the community, by the community. So I'm all about community growth all around. So um, I am on Instagram and Facebook at Mylan and Melanin with Dawn or Mylan Melanin with Dawn. I don't even know. I change it so much, but you guys can just kind of Google Dawn Morgan and find me. But I'm also Dawn underscore Janine on Instagram. And my new podcast is the Unquiet Mind Podcast dot com you can go to that website i haven't uploaded my 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 episodes uh because i'm editing them but i have tons of episodes on youtube if you go to myelin and melanin and uh you'll see you'll see me there um but basically if you find me on instagram my personal one is don underscore janine and that's how you can like find all the things that i'm doing in the world I'll have you send me the links for all that and I'll put it in the description of the podcast. So it'll be right in the description so people can just copy and paste or click on it. Make it easier. Thank you. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. I I would love to have, I want to have you on if you would be interested in becoming on our pod, my podcast and talking. Always down. Yeah, because this is so important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All, all the advocacy and, and cross-community advocacy is super important. Thank you guys for stopping by and listening to the podcast. I appreciate everyone. Make sure you guys stop and check out chronicliving.info. Got a new website up and running that's going to be the main area to find all the social media content as well as accounts. So make sure you guys stop by. If anyone's looking to share their story, volunteer, either time or experience, There's also going to be some links on there of how you guys can get involved. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you in the next one.